I'm Tom Wallace, and this is Florida Funders Angel Investing in Florida podcast series. If you are new to the show, Florida Funders is a unique hybrid venture capital fund as well as a crowdfunding platform where we focus on finding the most exciting young tech startups in the state of Florida investing them. Our motto is Sunshine State to Startup State. Really excited to have with me today Chris Sullivan. Chris is an old and dear friend, co-founder of Outback Steakhouse, starting from one store here in Tampa, which is right around the corner from where I live, to over a 1,000 locations in 23 countries, taking it public, then taking it private. One amazing success story, Chris and his partner, Bob Basham, have an Outback Steakhouse. So, Chris, welcome. Thanks for coming and agreeing to be on the show. Why don't you tell us your story? How did Outback come about? How did you get started? And Well, thanks for having me, Tom. And, and you know, I admired all the stuff you've done. And my journey is one that's just like a lot of Americans. It's uh, one of those erasure algebra kinds of stories. You know, you, I'm from a large family, seven kids. Dad was a FBI agent, very proud of his career, but we didn't ever have any money. You know, it was one of those deals. So early in my life, it was about finding ways to make money. And, and like a lot of young people in my age, we all did that. And what that did is we created, created really, a, I understood if I wanted to do things and get things, I had to work. And so, you know, I'm very fortunate to find a business that I loved early in my life. And that was Ten and Bar and Waiting Tables. And, and I loved the restaurant business. And, and I was going right to from the beginning. Right. Well, you know, I'm, I'm waiting tables and tending bar in places like Fort Lauderdale during the season. And you're making great money. And you're having a great time and you're going, this is a blast. And there was a guy down there, the general manager of this restaurant, coincidentally, it's called Steak and Brew. And it was out of New York. It was a franchise. And this guy was 32 years old, making a hundred grand as the general manager of that restaurant in 1971. That was a lot of money. In that Driving place. a Corvette, nice condo, <laughs> looking the ocean down in Los Olas Boulevard. And I went, damn, this is a hell of a business. This is great, right? <laughs> and I agreed to, I, I went back to UK to, to graduate and I agreed to come back down there as an assistant manager at, in his restaurant. And I got, I was going to get one bartending shift a week because he was going to pay me a regular salary and I, I needed some tip money and all that. So I had one bartending shift a week and I was supposed to go down there in early January and at my going away party in, in Lexington, Kentucky. I heard about this company called Steak and Ale out of Dallas, and they were, had one under construction in Louisville, Kentucky. And I got up the next morning to leave for Fort Lauderdale, and there'd been an ice storm come through. And I couldn't go anywhere. Uh -huh. So there was no internet. There's nothing back then. Uh -huh. So I made a phone call to Dallas, Texas, and got this guy on the line from Steak and Ale. And he says, well, yeah, we're we, the guy that's going to run that deal is going to be in, in Louisville tomorrow if he can get in, if not the next day. Uh -huh. For some reason, I said, you know, I'd like to meet him. And and I knew why, because going to Fort Lauderdale was going to be fun, but I was also going to be 24 years old in about a month. And I went, you know, I mean, maybe I really think about taking the next step of my life here. Because <laughs> Fort Lauderdale was a party. So anyway, so to make a long story short, I ended up in Dallas, Texas, in an interview about two days later. I had, told him I had a job. I was going to make $15,000 a year in Fort Lauderdale and, and a bartending shift. So and they, they ended at the end of an eight-hour interview process and taking psychological testing. I'd never done any of that. And they offered me a job for $600 a month in Indianapolis. <laughs> and I'm like, did you hear me? I've got, I've got a job in Florida for fifteen grand a year. But it was one of those deals. They had 24 restaurants. They'd gone public in 1971. They were growing. I really liked this guy, Seth Kennedy, that I'd interviewed with in, in, in Louisville. And I took the job. 
And it was the greatest decision I ever made because a guy named Norman Brinker was the founder of Steak and Ale and then Benny Gins, and I had an opportunity to run Benny Gins. So I just found an industry I loved and had great mentors early in my career and, you know, met Bob Basham and, and that company. And he and I ended up in Tampa together first with, well, we ran Benny Gins together and then we ended up in Tampa with Chili's. And the next thing I know, you know, we sell that. I'm going to move to California where my family all is. And I love California. I still do. I live out there part time, as you know. And and I realized I had made enough money to live in California because <laughs> I was going to get out of the restaurant business. I was going to find something else to do. Oh, so you're going to get out of the business? Entirely. I was. In fact, I'm so smart. I turned down running Blockbuster Video for Wayne Isaac because I didn't want a bunch of teenagers stealing um, videos. Out here, you know? <laughs> and and so I, I was going to move to California, and I had no idea what I was going to do. Mm-hmm. And I was uh, I was getting ready to turn forty. And I said, you know, next next chapter, let's go do it. And make a long story short, I decided I hadn't really made enough money to do that in California. And I came back to Tampa, hadn't really moved yet. And mm. Bob and I started talking and we tried to, a couple of different things we looked at. And then we ended up deciding to do a steakhouse deal, named it Outback and just had a blast. And, and where did the Australian thing theme come from? It was Crocodile Dundee was really hot. I remember that. And, and there was a guy, a tennis player, pro. You remember a guy named Pat Cash? And he was at East Lake Woodlands. And he was an Australian guy. So we were, you know, we went over and saw Pat Cash and said, hey, you know what? And we found out, and I didn't know it, but Pat says, you know, this area is the number two tourist destination to and from Australia. I said, I had no idea. Oh, yeah. He says, that's how I ended up here. And I don't know if that's really for factual or not. And they were just, they were getting ready to uh, have their bicentennial. And they also were running to have the Olympics. And so we went, you know, and Americans loved it. And I took a chapter out of Norman Brinker's story. He he originally, Steak and Ale was an English Tudor, you know, themed restaurant. Mm-hmm. It wasn't going to be that. There was a company out in, Col- out in Colorado called Cork and Cleaver. And it was kind of a Mexican, Southwestern kind of looking building. And that's what he originally was going to build in Dallas. And he saw the movie Tom Jones in the mid-60s. And 65... That was the British invasion when that all started happening. Every all of a sudden, Americans started back the going Beatles. Over, the Beatles and Rolling Stones, and yeah. and he saw this movie Tom Jones and saw the eating scene in it and saw all the English thing going on and changed his whole deal and made it <laughs> called funny. Steak and Ale. And so Bob and I are talking. Well, what's hot right now? And it was Australia and Crocodile Dundee. And we didn't want to do a Western themed steakhouse, and you know we didn't we didn't think Tampa. Have you ever been to Australian Dundee? No, they still hadn't. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, so. We decided to do Outback Steakhouse, and it really worked very well, obviously. And we opened the first one here in Tampa in March of 88. And I went, I took my family there to Australia in June of 88. But we, we befriended Australians in the United States. Uh-huh. And we met people out in the West Coast that were in the food and beverage business. Had a guy that owned re- retail shops, Australian re- retail shops in the D.C. area. And he became my our consultant. On, so we didn't offend anybody with things we'd write on menus and uh-huh. naming menu items and things like that. And so, so when you started Outback, I have to, I have to ask you this. Did you have any idea? Did you have the vision that it would grow to a thousand? Did you have? No, the, no. Lot, no, we our game plan, our name, the name of our original company is Multi-Venture Partners. And I had a guy, Bob and I both really liked this guy, Rich Melman. Rich Melman's one of the geniuses of the restaurant business. He had all these one-offs. Magiano's is a Rich Melman's okay. restaurants, right? And that was one of his only big chain deals. But he all, he had let, let us entertain you. He had uh, Fritz That's It. He had these different restaurants out there in Chicago. And I loved going to these places because they were heavily themed, but the food was great and they were fun. 
right? And they were different than, you know, a steak and ale. They were different than a Friday's or and things like that at the time. And so we said, well, let's let's stay here because I've been traveling extensively building, you know, building Bennigan's and building steak and ales. And, and I said, you know, I had young kids at home. I said, you know, I don't want to travel as much as I've been traveling. So mm-hmm. let's just do this here in Tampa and the Tampa Bay area. And let's do some, if the steakhouse thing works, we'll build three or four of those and then maybe we'll find an Italian deal. We were debating whether to, to do something like Shell's before Shell's would o- was open here. We saw a little restaurant in the air, in the railroad station in Pittsburgh. What was the name of that place? The Gandhi Dancer. The Gandhi Dancer. And we loved that place. We <laughs> that thought, was a great place. We thought that was so cool. And we were we were kicking that thing around, and all of a sudden, shells opened up, and we kind of went. It wasn't the same, but it was close yeah. to the same thing. And it's, you know, pasta and shrimp and stuff like that. So yeah. we we did Outback, and then we were going to do something else, maybe whatever the next brand was going to be. So no, the intention was never to build a big company like that. It was to have a nice local Tampa based company and have a lot of fun mm-hmm. and be kind of the Richard Melman group of, of Tampa and, and this in South, you know, this part of Florida. And yeah, obviously, we failed. <laughs> in a good way. And, and no discipline. Because a lot of people that worked with it at Steak and Ale, Steak and Ale had gone through all, all really, all of us that it really helped run that company and build that company had left because uh. Pillsbury owned us and Pillsbury didn't know what to do with restaurant guys and entrepreneurs. They just, yeah. you know, the big corporate packaged goods company had no clue what mm-hmm. to do with a bunch of entrepreneurs and restaurant people. So, you know, we, we all left that and, and we did our Chili's deal and, we had, we built the number one Chili's you know franchise group at the time in the country mm-hmm. and and Norman needed that back as a public company so he bought us out and so we started out back and it was great and it created so many adventures and so much fun so in that in that journey the whole outback lessons learned we, you had a couple of things that you want share with the, our listeners that you really learned along the way that other founders might learn from. And everybody says this. And we, I was having dinner the other night with uh, Trudy Cooper, who's one of the founders out back, and her husband, John, and they, you know, they have Han Swan now. John, I knew when he was a head waiter for Steak and Ale here in Tampa, and he ended up working for us as Benny Gens. Trudy came and worked at Benny Gens and, and ended up, and she in charge of training. And we were talking about that the other night. And, you know, the biggest the biggest lesson learned here, it takes lots of really great engaged people to make anything successful. Nobody does anything by ourselves. Like Outback was not Chris Sullivan. It wasn't Chris Sullivan and Bob Basham. It wasn't Chris Sullivan, Bob Basham, Tim Gannon, and Trudy Cooper. It was so much more than that. It just takes a lot of people to make something work. And you look at things like Apple, you look at Microsoft, there's so much more than the one or two people's names on those brands that made those things really successful. So all these things that really work, yeah, it might be, the idea might be with one or two people, but to bring these things forward and make them really work, it takes a bunch of people to do it. Yeah, that's well. And, that's very well said. Yeah. Stephen Jobs was famous. One of his his famous quotes was, "Business is a team sport." It is, and that's one of the re- reason I love business. It is a team. It's a team sport. It is a sport, and it's a blast. So anybody thinks they do, they're the one that made something happen walk away, <laughs> you know, and, and you run into those people. Yeah. yeah and, and you kind of go, and sometimes they have great ideas, but they wonder why they can't give them point A to point B. Right. And, and yeah, sometimes it's money, but more than anything, a lot of times they're not really willing to open up and let other people into the game and let them play and participate. And when you do that, you, it looks like things really, really work out a lot better. So that, that's a, that's the biggest thing I've learned. Yeah. That's a, that's a great, a great point. I remember when you and Bob won the 500 award. Yeah. And 
And uh, what an honor that is. Or, or was it the Entrepreneur, entrepreneur of the Year? Entrepreneur of the Year, which what an honor. I haven't won as many as you have, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> which, which is, uh, you won for the entire country, which yeah. what an honor. I which mean, was that, really, that was that was crazy. Yeah, up against a couple big. Oh, big, big, to win big, that award, I don't know if our listeners realize, I mean, you're up against the top companies in the, on the, in the country. Well, we took an old brand and reinvigorated that kind of idea, old idea, Steakhouse, and and we, I think we won it because of our, our partner programs. We shared. That's what know? I was going to get to. Yeah, it was one of the principles you guys that were we were very believed. generous in your well, they're these people are the ones running the business. You know, they're they're the ones you know hiring the people to run these restaurants, and we wanted them to act like owners and behave like owners. So we made them owners, and uh, it worked great. Yeah. And I think that's not at the time, right? No, they really hadn't. You know, there was there was remember a little company called Sambo's. You ever there was a little coffee shop dealers around, and they had they had a deal as a fraction of the action thing. They go, and I remember people that worked at Sambo's. In fact, a guy that was a head waiter for me back in the Steak and Ale in D.C. was down in South Florida when we were. I was in Florida building Steak and Ales, and I ran into Don, and he had these dark circles under his eyes, you know, and the guy was. You know, 32 years old. And I said, Donnie, what's the matter? Are you sick? No, but I own, I own 5% of this restaurant. Now. I'll be damned if I'm going to let anything go. Out. <laughs> it was 24 hour restaurant, right? <laughs> and, and I'm like, wow. And, and then, you know, some people had dabbled with that a little bit. Golden Corral has, has a little bit pro, a program similar, but not the same. But we, we kind of did some research and didn't really find the right idea that somebody done. So we kind of made up our deal and, you know, to get somebody in 1988 to give you $25,000 for a 10% interest in a restaurant was unbelievable. And the, the first guy we did that with was- So your managers had to buy in. 25,000 cash. There wasn't, we didn't lend them money. They couldn't earn it. Because to me and Bob, we felt like if somebody could come up with $25,000, they, they had done something. They had people believed in them, or they had saved, saved that much money. That was a lot more money anybody's putting down on a house back then, yeah, right? And so it said something about their character. It said something about their work ethic that they got, right? Yeah. So the first guy we went, we went after was a, a fellow by the name of Kevin Toomey. He was up at running a, a Houston's in, in, in Lenox Square in Atlanta. And, and Kevin had used to work with us at Steak and Ale. And so I knew Kevin, really great operator. And we've heard through the grapevine that he wasn't that happy working the founder of Houston's guy named George Beale, who's a wonderful guy, but really tough. And he lived right down the street from this restaurant Kevin's running it. And the word on the street was, you know, Kevin's looking to make a change. So we got a hold of Kevin and presented him this program. And he was making about $75,000 a year in 1987. And, you know, he was at a prestigious location. And, you know, it, it was a big deal for a mm -hmm. guy running a restaurant. But he had no ownership interest, zero. Yeah. So we presented the idea $40,000 a year. You give us 25000 which basically covered their training cost and, you know, some other expenses associated with them getting into the business. And uh, he jumped at it and came down to Tampa and opened our second restaurant, not our first restaurant. We got it delayed. So another fellow, we hired another guy that worked with us at Steak and Ale, too, Larry Siegel. And he jumped at it. And, you know, there's $25,000. They came up with the money like that. They want to be our partners. And they were remarkable. And pretty soon, people are going, can I do this here? Can I do this there? Mm -hmm. Can I do this there? And that's We, we created a company of owners. Yeah, and it was great. great. It was fun. That's a great story. Switching over to the investment side, when did you start angel investing? Tell us how you got into it and what were your, some of your early investments. First of all, I'm a C student from Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs> so 
I didn't really start doing angel investing in any serious level until probably 10 years ago, right? I guess that's around the time that Obamacare got passed. And I was really concerned about the restaurant industry and the company we have out back and all the employees in there. And I was really concerned about the problem with the single women or the women with children that really were having a tough time paying for health care. And we had had an inverted, uh, what I call an inverted premium program at Outback, where the one we originally rolled out was $17 a month for a $250 deductible coverage. And we had 7% of our employees taken, not including management. That was all. Only 7%. Only 7% because they just didn't think that that was, you know, it, and it was almost 90% female that would take it. I just went, you know, it's because they don't make enough money. At that $17 is a big deal. I got the guys. They're invincible. You know, I got the, yeah. uh, the kitchen guys and the, they, they, they just didn't think they needed it. So I started to figure out how are, how are people going to make more money in this industry? Because they're going to have to pay for health care. It's going to get expensive. And as employers with this many people, it's going to be a real problem for us. So I started thinking about what in the technology world, what we can we do in the restaurant business? And that's where I started thinking about using technology to make the server experience, the employee and the customer experience more seamless. And that's where we came up with the concept of MenuPad. Found this small company in Australia that was muddling along, made an investment in that. And that was my first kind of serious foray into, you know, that level of investing that, you know, it was about something that angel investing, I thought, could really become something significant because I really felt like that it was going to allow servers to wait on more tables. And also, we learned pretty quickly that PPAs per person, what people would spend, went up in restaurants when when the device to order from was always at their table. And so, as you remember, we opened Carmel Cafe yeah, and Carmel Kitchen with that. Dumbest thing I ever did was open up a restaurant, open to the public, and the technology wasn't perfected yet. You know, that wasn't very smart. But that was the real first major kind of investment I made in angel, at the angel side of it. And that one is, you know, I, I basically sold it last year after eight years and invested way too much money on it because I was also the angel investor and the primary invest, except for some people in the Tampa Bay area invested some money in it. Unfortunately, that one hasn't worked out. Eventually, it will work out because from that, you know, we created this platform called Omnivore. And that, that was another angel investment. But I recognize my era in getting in the app business and trying to go to point of sales. I remember taking the idea up to, uh, up to Columbia, Maryland and, and meeting with the CEO and the CTO of Micros mm-hmm. and explaining what the product was. And they said, Chris, that's a great idea. That's kind of custom work. We really don't want to do any of that. But if you get it developed the way it looks like you're getting it there, we'll be glad to let you, you know, run it through our systems. And they're about the only point of sale company that will let us do that because all these point of sale companies eventually didn't want any outside deals. They didn't want yeah. other apps unless yeah. they did an open table. They, and they didn't, if you think about it, open table, which became a big, big idea, is a big idea. You know, they, the, the point of sales companies would not let them run their app through their point of sale system. So you would see the, the open table tablet at the host stand, right? It wasn't integrated. It wasn't integrated. Yeah. And when you started thinking about how technology is going to work like that. So angel, my, my major angel investing is there. Then I made a you know, small investment with you guys at Florida Funders. And I've not been a big angel investment person, but I think Florida Funders is a great idea. And I think it's great because 
people need these this kind of in you know this kind of influx of cash. Also, you guys give people a lot of guidance. I mean, this is a, this is a great organization. Well, thank you. And I wish I'd been, I wish you'd been around ten years ago when I was doing this because it'd been fun. Well, I don't think our listeners probably realize how you know innovative you are in technology in the restaurant space when you were doing. Uh, I remember Car- on Carmel Cafe and when you were doing menu pad, it was it was nowhere. I mean, now you go in every airport and you see these, yeah. you know, these menu pads. I don't know if that's the same product. It's not the same product, but there was a guy. Yeah, there's a guy up in the he bought the uh, from Aramark in Philadelphia. He bought the terminal business in New York at the, at the uh, JetBlue terminal and his idea. And he created that that. The technology and he created created that for that first terminal up there. And I remember getting out and talking to him and seeing if there's something we could do together. And he said, "No, I'm I'm just going to focus on this airport thing and stuff like that." And I said, "Okay, great." And he did that, and you know, he's done he's done really well with that. But you know, the the angel investing side of it, like in the family office business, right? Mm-hmm. So I Paladin. Which is muddled along, but you know, as we've got some good clients now and it, it's finally looking like it's got a chance to do some good things. But here you are, family office. So I, I joined IPI, which is a family office organization, a national one. And I went to two meetings and the number one problem, this is 15 years ago. The number one problem was technology, software for family offices, right? Yeah. And, you know, there really wasn't any products out there that are really doing that. So, you know, Joe Krieger was a banker, a trust, com- a trust company officer at, at the bank. Uh, we got together. She came over to run the family office. And so we decided that we would try to solve that problem. So we've been working on that. That was a, that's been an angel investing game, you know, got into. And that one has a chance to be a success. And, and because it, it's a product that gives people fa- these family offices and it gives families, multi-generational families, the opportunity to look at what's going on in their lives without at a push of a button, using digital technology to look at that. Taking all your records, all that paper you have, you know, and all these file caps, yeah. all these people have that, put all it into place. Documents. Yeah, don't have to call your lawyer to get it. Don't have to call your accountant yeah. to get it. You know, you do all those kinds of things. And 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 the security side of it now, it's you know we're, we're close. On, we're well, more than close. I mean, we've got blockchain technology with it now, and all that, which is very important on the security side. Of it. But it's a fun game to play. Omnivore, with the menu pad business, we realized that these point of sale companies were not going to play. They they wanted their own in the products, restaurant space. In the rest of the hospitality space, yeah, they weren't going to play. So this little Australian company. This guy had a, a menu pad product similar to what we had, mm-hmm. but there was another guy in San Francisco that that we had run into that had this idea that he could create an API that would lay lay into the, the restaurants and the point of sale companies could write to that API and the apps write to that API and integrate. Mm-hmm. And I said that is the answer. Yeah. Now to get the point of sale companies to allow that to happen was going to be the hard thing to do, but we we went forward developed the product. And it's been a long, long seven years. Mm-hmm. It's been more than angel investing, <laughs> say the least. And but we've got some great partners in it now: Coca Cola, PFG, some good, you know, Jim Venick, you know, some other people around town, Lee Arnold. We've got a heck of a company now, which we relocated recently from California here to Tampa. It's a Thank you. We Tampa love to area. see that. Yeah, and and you know, one of the things I like about coming to Tampa is there's lots of talent around here. There's a lot of people coming out of these universities, lots of people in develop that can do development. So the idea that you have to go to Silicon Valley or go to Austin, Texas, and that's in the, or the Carolinas just isn't true anymore. Yeah, yeah. We, we're firm believers in that. And if anything, we're seeing 
my nephew just moved from San Francisco to Fort Lauderdale sure. for Magically. And, you know, in, in San Francisco and California, the, there is talent, but the talent's very expensive and you're competing against Facebook and Google and all, you know, these companies are trying to hire the same people. So. Well, Mike Wire, who's the CEO of Omnivore, he said one of the biggest problems out there, you hire a developer, you get them, you know, get them up to really the speed they need to get to. And then all of a sudden they're gone. You know, somebody else just comes in, buys them from you, et cetera. Yeah. And I'm sure a little of that will go on around here from time to time. But you're trying to build an organization where people want to stay and work with you. But, you know, this omnivore idea is, looks like it's got great, great legs. We're in 19, over 19,000 locations now. And, wow. and it's, it's, uh, we'll double that this year and, uh, we'll, we'll go positive cash flow sometime in 2020. Mm-hmm. They say third quarter, I say second, but anyway. <laughs> they say fourth, I say third. Now you brought up the founder, Mike Wire. So when you're looking at angel investing, how much emphasis do you put on the, the jockey using racing terminology? For well, listeners, Chris is a big horse racing guy. <laughs> Mike Mike was working at, with, with MenuPad, right? Mm-hmm. So this founder of, he called it Positronics, was the name of the original company out in San Francisco. And so he had he had kind of the, the basis started on it, and he had some good things going with it, but he really didn't know how to get it really where it needed to be. So I took Mike out of the menu pad business and moved him to California to work side by side with this guy. I came to understand very quickly this guy was the wrong guy to have in there. And Mike was the right guy to have this, to drive this. So to make a long story, we bought him out. Of, of the business and Mike took over running the business. And then he ran out of California until the end of the end of this year. And I mean, in December and moved the company here and they relocated here and they, and they're here, mm-hmm. but it, it takes that person, that right person. And Mike's Mike had, had an extensive background in development in the banking business and the banking security business. And he really gets it. And he really understood what the problem was in the restaurant industry. And he, he understood that the point of sale companies really needed this platform and the apps and, and needed this program. So, yeah. you know, we put together the company that's making that happen. And we've got, we've got a marketplace and then Coca-Cola now it's white labeled the marketplace and, and this. And they're, they're out there adding value to their customers and, you know, taking us into big restaurant companies. Apple loves the product. They're going in with that and menu pad. They love that product, but the other company we're buying, we sold it to and. You know, so things are really starting to happen. And the industry, which the restaurant industry is very slow to adapt sometimes. You know, mm-hmm. when you like you travel a lot. So you go to Europe, you've been paying you've been paying at the table with credit cards in Europe for a decade. Yeah. Right. You know, that's just that's a recent phenomenon in the United States, right? And so, you know, these kinds of technologies we're behind on, but that's where it's happening. I'm happy to say we were fairly early in the game. And with the changes of uh, all the point of sale systems that are trying to, you know, change, it's very difficult for them to change. What's Omnivore do for them? It makes it so people can take their older systems, make them work, not have to rip them out yet. And, you know, and all of a sudden it's back of the house changes and they need, you know, more cloud, you know, connectivity and things like that. Those, those things will evolve. So the, you know, any industry that doesn't stay relevant, to the consumer and doesn't, isn't able to do the kinds of business with people. Like you want to do a delivery, you want to get delivery. You don't have to get on the phone, right? Nobody yeah, does that. Right. You want to go on the internet. You want to pull well, I was going to ask you about cloud kitchen. I don't know if you followed cloud sure. kitchen, yeah. Travis Kalanick's new yeah. company. And a lot of people think that's going to change the restaurant industry. You know, the, the idea of having to go to restaurant people 
you know, these virtual kitchens and much I, of the food I, being delivered. It's, 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 I like the customers. I like the dining yeah. experience. I always dine out by that. There's no doubt that delivery's had an impact and it's going to continue to have an impact. No doubt about it. And there's one called Kitchen United that's doing the same thing out in LA and, and they're a little bit further along than Cloud Kitchen is. But the idea of doing that makes a lot of sense. Uh, instead of spending a couple million dollars to build a full service location, you can build something out for $400,000. And if you can do $2 million or a million dollars out of that, that's great, right? Yeah. But people need socialization, right? And they're going to want it. They want, yeah. they want the experiences. You know? I know I do. I mean, and, and I don't, I just don't want to eat home every night. Yeah. You know? And, and, the only reason my wife married me is because she didn't have to cook. You know? <laughs> so we eat out quite a bit. But I, I, it's here. It's going to be, it's projected to be 30% of the sales by the end of the decade, of, by 2030. Now, it might be 25, might be 35. But restaurants are still going to be here. Yeah. And they're going to be, and they're going to be fun. And the, the quantity and quality of restaurants out there is remarkable. Look at our own area, what's happened in the restaurant scene over the last five years. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. It's, and it's a blast. Yeah. So, and you combine now most of the restaurants, we the new restaurants are not using a lot of technology yet, right? Yeah, they're not, yeah. but they're getting ready to. The big chains are, you know, finally started doing it because it's it's expensive to change out a restaurant service system. Mm -hmm. It really is. You know, the point of sales system has to adjust, have to train all these people to do it differently. You know, and, but to be honest with you, the new technologies are less expensive really to operate than the old technologies. What do you think is the biggest impact we're going to see in the restaurant industry in the next five years or so from a technology standpoint? I think everything you do with, tech, with the restaurant, other than going in and saying hi to them, is going to be done digitally. I think your order. I think you'll pre-order meals when you before you go to restaurants. You'll have the capability to do that. You'll prepay if you want to. You you'll. Like, let me give you, like, you, say you're going out to dinner tonight and you have a party of six mm -hmm. and you're going to go to Fleming's. Well, you will go and you, you'll pull up the app. You, and if you happen to know what your people like to drink or you have certain wines you want at the table or there's some appetizers and you're, you kind of called your friends and put the deal together, you'll pre-order some appetizers. You'll tell them what kind of water you want. You might order wine. You might know that Jimmy likes margaritas and he likes this and Susie likes this and this. And so when you go sit down, instead of going through the 10 minute drill, all of a sudden people start bringing stuff to your table. Mm -hmm. It'd be kind of fun. Yeah. That'll be a big difference. Yeah. A big, big difference. Yeah. You might be driving. You, you do it now. You can drive down the street, be driving down the street at a stoplight, get on the phone and boom, 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 you know, yeah. and, and order your food, right? Yeah. And then either have it delivered or pick it up. I mean, it's all these things are going to change dramatically. How you communicate with your employees is all going to be done digitally. It's not going to be, you know, look at the wall and see a schedule on the wall. All this is stuff being done. And like Slack, you know, is a communication vehicle that you are know, being used. And whatever, there's lots, there's other ones that are being used. So instead of emailing your employees with things, you're texting them, right? Yeah. Or you're doing the Slack or whatever you're doing, right? Yeah. So there's, there's different ways to communicate. Same things happen with customer interactions with businesses. It's not email. Sure. It's sure. all these other things, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, the restaurants, you know, having these, having the Instagram and having these, having these sites like this where people are just sharing their experiences with everybody, the pictures, that's just free marketing, right? That's well, Shelby on. here is a, an Instagram, she has her own Instagram foodie, but it's downtown St. Pete, right? St. Pete Eats. St. Yeah. Pete Eats. Yeah. <laughs> How many followers do you have? 
7,000. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Good. You're going to start hanging out at our restaurants. <laughs> <laughs> well, Chris, this has been great. Thank you. What an amazing story. Congratulations. Amazing career. It's just been so much fun to watch what you've done over the years. And, and you've done it with such grace. And you give back so much. And, and so I really appreciate you coming in. And I know our listeners are really going to enjoy this and continued success. Thanks, Tom. Always a pleasure being with you, buddy. 